Good morning, everybody. My name is Jacob. I am the preacher guy here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. This morning, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20. We're going to be talking about David's relationship with Saul and then also with Jonathan. So you can turn in your Bibles and make your way there. But while you're doing that, um, I... I want to just talk about something practical, and that is, I preach most Sundays, I, I get up here, and I think about the way that I take the stage. Sometimes I'm thinking, I wonder if there's something different that I could do to make the, the sermon time a little bit more exciting, or to, to maybe take the stage with a little more exuberance or, or style. And so I was thinking, you know, it'd be kind of cool if, it's if I had entrance music. Like, we, we do the communion, and then we take the offering, we pass the baskets around, but wouldn't it be cool if, like, boom! Here comes the theme song. We know what's coming next. It's going to be a sermon. It's going to be a word from the Lord and get everybody excited about that. And I thought, well, this is a pretty cool congregation. We try things out here. So what I'd love to try this morning is just taking the stage again, but this time with what I hope will be entrance music that we'll use from now on. So let's, let's try this. I'm here. Okay, communion, offering. Amen. And then they start passing the baskets. Hmm. Yo, VIP. Let's kick it. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Tri Valley. So excited to bring a word from the Lord this morning. That go? What do you guys think? Was that okay? Should we do that every week? Yeah? I'm getting, you know, some people are shaking their head like, firm no. Some of your looks told me never, ever again. Okay, all right. I'll absorb the feedback and we'll see what happens next week, which happens to be Easter Sunday. So, uh, not sure if we're going to do that on Easter Sunday. By the way, Easter is our most attended Sunday historically. Easter is when people show up to church, and I want to point out something. This is practical, also aside from the sermon, uh, but normally these front two rows are nice and empty, so you can sit up here if you want. Next week, we're going to have a lot of visitors and guests and people's, you know, grandsons and, and things like that are going to be here, so if you think about me telling you this and you decide, you know what, I'm going to scoot forward and make room for, for newcomers and guests, that would be awesome. We probably should even put in a couple extra rows in the back because we tend to have a lot of people here on Easter Sunday. So, reminder, if you're brave, come and sit in the front rows next Sunday. I promise you won't get splashed on by anything that happens on stage. It'll be fine. Did any of you recognize that theme music that I entered the stage with? What was that song? It was Ice Ice Baby from the early 90s by this fantastic recording artist, a young man, not so young anymore, uh, but his name is Vanilla Ice. He's got a patriotic leather jacket and a hairstyle that I'm obviously jealous of. <laughs> Vanilla Ice was the thing. Vanilla Ice was it. When I was like 10 years old, that song would come on the radio and I'd like kick everybody out of my room, be like, shush, 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 I need to hear this song. All of the song. I'd close my door and I'm like, yeah, this is my jam. Vanilla Ice was awesome and he had such success. To the Extreme came out and Vanilla Ice was everywhere. He was in commercials, he had his own full-length motion picture, he was in the Ninja Turtles sequel, and the world could not get enough of Vanilla Ice. And then a strange thing happened. Almost as quickly as Vanilla Ice came on the scene, people hated Vanilla Ice. 
They rejected vanilla ice. They said, no more vanilla ice. And people started denying that they ever liked him in the first place. You love vanilla ice. You played that song nonstop. No, I didn't. I never liked vanilla ice. You didn't. That's, it's a strange thing that happens. And not just with this particular artist, but this happens a lot with phenomena, with, with, with uh, artists, uh, with a quick rise to fame. And I've been in youth ministry, and I've hung out with teenagers enough to see this happen in different cycles. Like you can replace Vanilla Ice with names like uh, Hannah Montana. Uh, people get into K-pop and then abandon it. Taylor Swift, Rebecca Black, Gangnam Style. Anybody remember Psy and Gangnam Style? Uh, and of course, Justin Bieber. But this happens again and again. People will love an artist immediately and then reject ever being a fan. The reason that I'm talking about this is because David experiences this in the worst way with someone who is very close to him. And this is Saul. Last week, you remember, we looked at the story of David and Goliath in the Valley of Elah. David had a lot of success, and the Lord was with him. And so Saul invites David to be part of his house. And the scriptures tell us that David sometimes played soothing music uh, on his harp, and he was a musician, and he could sing and write songs. And Saul, when he was agitated or something, he would invite David to come in and soothe him with this music. But David wasn't just a good musician. David was a fierce warrior. He killed Goliath, and then he gets sent out to lead some of Saul's armies, and he has success there as well. And what we find out as we read this story is that David quickly becomes vanilla ice to Saul. Saul loves David. He's great. Come into my house. Play music for me. Lead my armies. And then just as quickly, no. I hate that guy. I don't want him here at all. So let's talk about David and his relationship with Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5, it says, whatever mission that Saul sent David on, he was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. And this pleased all the troops, and it pleased Saul's officers as well. Naturally, if he does a good job, that's going to make Saul look good. If he is successful for Israel's armies, they're going to have success, and the people are going to love him. And that's exactly what happened. But Saul didn't realize that that would have a negative effect. And he starts hearing this song that people are singing around town. And Scripture tells us the words of this song. It doesn't give us the melody or the, the hand gestures, but I've, I've gone ahead and supplied my own. And I think the song goes something like this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David's slain his ten thousands. But Saul has slain his thousands, while David slain his ten thousands. They'd sing that song, and Saul would hear that and go, what? And this is what Scripture tells us. He heard this, and he said he was very angry, because the refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me, with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? In short, Saul is jealous of David. And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. And it's not just that he watched him. It's that he looked for opportunities to get rid of his greatest competition for the hearts and the minds of the people. So he sends him out into battle. He's like, great, you're this great military leader. Go where the fighting is fiercest. Maybe he'll get killed. But that's not what happens. The Lord is with him, and he succeeds, and he gets more acclaim. So then Saul says, all right, here's what we're going to do. You can marry my daughter, my good daughter. And only reason, only price that I request of you is you've got to go out and you've got to kill 100 Philistines. So what does David do? He goes out, and he kills 200 Philistines. And he marries the king's daughter. And Saul is so angry 
and jealous of David. And Saul's son, Jonathan, knows that his father is trying to kill David, so he tells David that he needs to go into hiding. He's like, David, he's, he's going to kill you the next chance he gets. You need to get out of here. And then Jonathan goes to Saul, and he talks his father down. He says, you shouldn't try to kill this guy. He loves you. He's bringing you success. He's making you look good. You should leave him alone. And Saul says, oh, okay, you're right. Um, I was wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Uh, okay, so he can come back in my house. I'm sorry. And now David is in this awkward situation. He's back in the house of Saul, this guy who just a minute ago was trying to kill him. Are we friends again? Are you still my enemy? Do I need to sleep with one eye open from now on? That's got to be a horrible situation to be in. And if you've ever been in a situation like this, then you kind of know what this feels like. Maybe not that the person you live with is trying to kill you, but you don't know whether or not you can trust the people who are supposed to be looking out for you. That's a horrible feeling. A volatile and unpredictable person is hard to trust. You're constantly walking on eggshells, hoping that you or somebody else doesn't do something to set them off. It can be torturous. And if, just take a moment here to, to point out, if this is you, if you have these tendencies in your, your household or with the people that you've been entrusted with, the people that you are responsible for, you might take a moment to consider the damage that it's doing. Because we definitely see this in the story of Saul and David and their relationship. So now David's back in this house. Not the greatest situation, but it's his home. And then in chapter 19, starting in verse 9, it says this, But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in hand. And while David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. And that night David made good his escape. David is now running for his life. He runs from the home that Saul had offered him. And what we find out as we fast forward or flip through the rest of the scriptures, that David does not become king for about 10 years. It's 14 chapters worth of 1 Samuel of David being on the run, looking over his shoulder, hiding and running for his life from Saul, this man who loved him, he's great, and then rejected him so quickly. But there was a bright spot in David's dark situation with Saul, and that bright spot was his friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And if we go back to 1 Samuel 18, we see that the moment that David and Jonathan meet, they click, and they become best friends. Listen to this. 18, I'll start in verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, this is after he defeats Goliath, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. He loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan is good to David. He's a loyal friend. Jonathan was the one who tried to talk Saul down, and the one who told David that he needed to hide and, and, and warned him about what was coming. And even when it was time for when Saul was going to make his move and finally try to end David, Jonathan is the one who helps David escape. And then listen to this pledge of loyalty that Jonathan and David make to one another. We're going to fast forward to chapter 20, start in verse 13. 
Jonathan says, But if my father intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away in peace. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. That's a good friend. That is true friendship. And if you've ever had a friend like that, you know how valuable that is, how meaningful that is, especially in a tumultuous situation. I heard a story recently that uh, I wasn't sure whether or not to share with you, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. We've already been playing vanilla ice and goofing off a little bit, so here's a story you may or may not like. But a buddy of mine said that when he was in his early 20s and he was getting to know the woman who would eventually become his wife, he was out on a jet skiing trip. And he and his best friend were out on a jet ski, and they were riding around together, and then they came back into shore, parked the jet ski, and they started walking back toward the picnic area where his future wife and some of their friends all were. And apparently they'd been drinking a lot of water before they got on the jet ski and they both really had to go pee. And they go, they're walking back to the picnic area and my friend says he just kind of started peeing in his swim trunks. And he was like, oh no, I'm peeing. Uh, and he didn't want to be embarrassed in front of this, this woman that he, he really had taken a liking to. So he turns to his friend who'd been on the jet ski with him and he said, hey, hey, just start peeing. And the, the friend says, what? Okay. And immediately, he does. To make it seem like, I don't know, this is a weird friend thing. This is something that we do. And uh, he said his wife approached and was like, hey, hey, what's going on? Like, you guys are both peeing. And they kind of played it off. But he spared him from the embarrassment that would have happened. And maybe he wouldn't have married this woman. Who knows? Isn't that a strange story? <laughs> But I heard that story, and I've been reading about David and Jonathan, and I thought, I don't know if I have a friend who's a good enough friend that if they just turned to me with no explanation at all and said, hey, just start peeing your pants. No more information than that. Ready, go. I don't know, I don't know if I could like physically make it happen, but I think that's good. <laughs> that, that's loyalty. That's a true friend right there. That's... That's David and Jonathan. The Proverbs talks about a good friend. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Doesn't say anything about peeing your pants, but we know about good friendships. We know what they should look like. We know the kind of loyalty that we want in our own friends. So today... Actually, you may not know this, today is Palm Sunday. The Sunday before Easter is always Palm Sunday, and it commemorates Jesus' final entrance into Jerusalem. You may remember from the scriptures, Jesus' triumphal entry. He comes into Jerusalem through the East Gate, and it was customary for the, the rulers, the, the governors. They would come from their palaces on the West Coast, and they would uh, come into town through the West Gate, and they would do the show of military might. They'd come in on a war horse, regalia and armor and all their soldiers with them and you better show up to the gate and you better salute 
the governor. You better pay homage. But the day that Jesus came into town, a lot of people went to the east gate, and what they saw was something very different than what they were used to. It's this peasant from Nazareth, and he's rolling into town at the wrong gate on a broke-down little donkey, and he comes into town waving. Maybe he's winking, and people, they like this. They see that it's a farce, that it's a parody of earthly power, because Jesus knows where true power comes from. So he kind of rolls into town, and people say, hey, let's treat him like a king. And they start shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means the God who saves. Or some people translate it, God, come and save us. They lay down the palm branches like you do for a king. Palm Sunday, the palm branches, when Jesus enters Jerusalem. He gets a royal welcome from a lot of the Jewish people. And an interesting thing is that many of the people who cheered Hosanna on Sunday were the same people that shouted, crucify him on Friday when he was being tried and when he went to the cross. Friday was a tough day. Loyalty lines would be drawn. Fingers would be pointed. People said things like, I saw you. You listened to Vanilla Ice a lot. You saw that Ninja Turtle movies a hundred times. No, I didn't. I never liked Vanilla Ice in the first place. You. I saw you. You were with that Nazarene. You're one of his followers. You sound like him. No, I'm not. I don't know him. I don't... We never hung out. He's not my friend. The day that Jesus was crucified, he knew about fickle friendships, and he experienced how fragile a person's loyalty can be. But he also knew how good it is to have someone stand beside you in the midst of your pain. Someone to stick up for you in your darkest hour. Even if it's just a man named Simon of Cyrene who takes your cross and carries it the rest of the way up the hill. Simon, that day, was a person of peace for Jesus. A person of peace. It's a phrase that I got from Jesus in the Gospels. We go to Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends out his disciples and he says, you guys do what I do. Go heal people, go drive out demons, preach that the kingdom of God is near. I'm sending you out. And he gives them some advice. You know, don't take a, don't take a bag with you. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. You're going to run into people along the way. And it's a person of peace. Listen to what he says. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, then your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. But stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. This concept of a person of peace. You're going to run into people who get it, who want to support what you're doing, who will bring and promote peace in your life. And then there's people who won't. Jesus knew about that. And David got to experience that because Jonathan was a person of peace in David's life. And you hear this as you read the stories in 1 uh, Samuel 18 through 20 about how their friendship is described. It says there was an immediate bond with them. It says that they were one in spirit with each other. They loved each other the way that they loved themselves. They made a covenant, a commitment to each other. And they stood up for each other. Jonathan went to his dad, who was the one who was seeking after to kill David, 
he risked a lot by going against the family and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm on David's side, and you should be too. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you, he says to David. And when Jonathan died, there was a battle with the Philistines after Saul was pursuing him. Uh, Saul and Jonathan both are killed, and David hears about this. One, Saul's dead. This means you're the king. You're the undisputed king. Hooray! But David doesn't celebrate. David laments. He weeps, and he sings a heartfelt lament for his dear friend Jonathan. This loyalty is something that we just want to soak up this morning. Just take in and recognize that this description that we have of Jonathan's loyalty toward David kind of sounds like a good description of our target relationship with Jesus. How we should feel about this, not just person of peace that we've come to know, but this prince of peace. Jesus is our peace, and he is devoted to us. He has demonstrated his loyalty by giving his life, and he has promised to stick with us in our times of need. So we should ask ourselves this morning, are we as devoted to Jesus as he is devoted to us? He has made a commitment to us. There have been lines drawn in the sand, and he has firmly planted his feet on our side and says, I love you, and I am willing to go the distance for you. That's a covenant. Have we made a covenant with Jesus? Are we willing to risk? Are we willing to sacrifice? And are you a person of peace for the Lord? Are you a person of peace in the name of Jesus in the life of somebody who needs it? When David was in hell, Jonathan was his person of peace. So for the people in your life who are going through hell, how can you be there for them? What can you do? What does it look like to be their person of peace? A couple weeks ago in our Acts class, we read about how the early church was devoted to one another. You can read about this in Acts uh, chapter 4, Acts chapter 2. They met regularly. They helped each other out. They provided for each other. They shared their stuff. This is a great glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like when it comes. Jesus was talking about this. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. The rules are going to change. Life is going to look different. And the church said, does it look kind of like this? And we have it because for 2,000 years people have said, yeah, that's what it looks like. That's a good glimpse of the kingdom. People who are devoted to Christ and to one another. So by becoming a person of peace in the name of Jesus, we fulfill his commandment to love one another. So just think this week. What opportunities might God put in your path to be a person of peace in someone's life? What does it look like to be devoted, to be committed the way that Christ is devoted and committed to us? Each week in this David series, I've said we're going to give you a psalm to read throughout the week. Uh, this is the first time you're hearing it. David wrote a lot of the psalms. We're not necessarily going to look at psalms just that David wrote, but the one we're going to take a look at today, the one we're going to send you off with and encourage you to read and dwell in throughout this week, is a psalm of David. Uh, it's Psalm 57. And according to a note that I have in my Bible, this is a psalm of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So during his wilderness years, when he wasn't able to go back home, when he was running for his life from someone who was supposed to love him and protect him, he's on the run and he writes this psalm. And this is a good psalm for us to spend time in because we sometimes we know what it's like. 
to feel like we're all alone, to feel like we don't have a person of peace. But David trusts in the Lord, even when the rest of the world is turned against him. So anyway, I'm going to read this psalm in a moment, but I want to remind you, the reason that we're doing this is so that the whole church is dwelling in the same psalm, so that we're hearing God's word in one specific area together. And then we want to give you the chance to respond to that. You may have noticed in the foyer on the way in, there's a little wall that says praying Psalm 34. That was our psalm from last week. I encourage you guys to read this psalm and then at some point in the week to write down a response psalm. Write a prayer to God saying, Lord, I heard what you're saying and this is what I have to say to you. Use the language from the psalm. Talk about what's going on in your life. Praise God for things. Ask God for things. Interact with this psalm. I hope that you guys will do that. I didn't see a lot of things posted back there, and that's fine. You don't have to do that, but I invite you to post if you like, but definitely read the psalm and write the prayer. This is a, what we think is a helpful exercise to unite the church, to help us increase in our prayer vocabulary, and just listen for what God wants to say to us through these psalms. So that's the explanation. The psalm for this coming week is Psalm 57. You may want to mark it or write it down so you don't forget. Take a picture of what's on the screen on your phone right now. But read this psalm, dwell in this psalm, and then respond to this psalm. David writes this, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for, I, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends me, he sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth and spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread out a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's stand as the praise team makes their way up here. Let's pray together. Lord God, we trust in you. We rely on your providence. We rely on your strength. We thank you for the example of trust that we have in David. We pray that we can live it out ourselves, that we can be loyal friends to those who are in need, that we can be Christ-like, that we can meet the Jose's who knock on our doors and know what to do and respond in a Christ-like way. We are your people. Send us out to do your work, Lord. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day long.
submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Please be seated. We have a number of prayer requests this morning, which I believe is always a healthy sign. We care for each other, so we dare to pray for each other. First, it's so good to see Joe Curtis and his sister Linda back with us today. Welcome. Um, Colby, Sarah, and Chris Bevington say thank you to those who helped getting us moved to Livermore. God has truly blessed us with a beautiful church family. We love you, the Bevingtons. Right back at you. From Evie Richardson, thank you for praying for me when I was in the emergency room. I am feeling much better now. We're very thankful for that, Evie. And also from Evie, there is a piece of paper that says, describe a situation this week in which you were, remi were reminded, huh, it's easy for me to say, to do to others as you would have them do to you. And Evie says, I hugged my friend when she was sad. So Evie, thank you for being a person of peace to your friend. Uh, from Jane, Miss Xingzhao Yin, why am I close? Uh, for success in her work. And Mr. Tong Wu, my son, hurt his right arm yesterday. Pray that he gets well soon. Uh, from Joe Curtis. Please continue prayers for me. Uh, chemo and radiation treatments are being planned for the next two months. From Sharon Bennett, uh, Jeff's surgery is on Friday. Please pray for the doctors as they perform the surgery and also for a speedy recovery for Jeff. From Kent and Lisa Richardson, uh, Please pray for Lipsum, Lipscomb grad student Gabby Suazo. Uh, she has been in ICU for two weeks fighting typhoid fever. Pray for her healing. Very serious, it sounds. Um, from Julia Ryle, 
My nephew Brian Mitchell is in the maintenance stage of his cancer. He has pain medication, but no more treatments. <clears throat> From Nancy Forward, oh, pardon me. Um, from Brad in Georgia, Choate, please pray for our son Seth. He struggles daily with his mental health and unhealthy choices, and his family struggles with him. Please continue to pray for six-year-old Grace Witted from the Sonoma Church, Sonora Church of Christ. She is battling cancer for one year now, and her battle continues. And also um, uh, from Jan Higdon, Please pray for six-year-old Ella in Texas, who is battling cancer for a year now. Um, yeah, childhood cancers are particularly difficult for, um, well, for the kids. I think the, the kids respond better than adults do, but it's really tough on the families. So we'll lift these families up in prayer. Um, an anonymous request in prayer that we may have two more guys in the back to serve the center section. I assume this is for communion. And it's probably from Dan. <laughs> uh, not so much a prayer request, but a reminder. Uh, please sign the journals for Roy uh, Mills and Brenda and for Sharon Rojas and for Steve and Tanya Fisher. They, as you exit, they are in the back, just on the table to the left. And two prayer requests uh, for the Fisher family as this is their last Sunday with us and they prepare to move to Oregon. And, and after I finish... Uh, the prayer here, Phil Weiss will come up and, and we'll pray over the fishers. So let's go to God in, in prayer for each other. Our Holy Father, you know what we need before we ask. But Lord, we thank you that in your wisdom you would have us ask, that you would have us put words to our requests, put words to our needs, and to say them whether we say them out loud or whether we say them in our minds, because it slows us down and it helps us to be here, to be in this moment, to be here now before your throne with each other as we ask. So thank you, Lord, that, that Joe Curtis and his sister Linda could be with us today. Uh, thank you so much for those that stepped up to help the Bevingtons move. And Lord, we thank you so much that Evie's feeling better and that when her friend was sad, she was able to come alongside of her and, and offer her a hug. Lord, with, with Jane, we lift up Miss Yin, that you bless her with success in her work, and for Tong Wu, for quick recovery from his arm injury. Lord, we lift up to you Joe Curtis, and thank you for his successful surgery, and we pray your hand just be with him as he does the follow-on chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Lord, with Sharon Bennett, we lift up her son Jeff, who's facing surgery this Friday. Please guide the hands of the doctors to a successful surgery, and please bless him with a quick recovery. Father, with Kent and Lisa, we lift up Gabby Suazo. Please heal her from typhoid fever. Please be with those health professionals that are ministering to her, that she can recover fully. And Lord, with Julia, we lift up Brian Mitchell in the maintenance stage of his cancer. Lord, we ask you for healing. We ask you to heal him. And with Brad and Georgia, we lift up our Seth. Father, we, we pray for his mental health. We pray, Father, that you give him peace and ease his mind. 
We pray for the choices that face him daily. And Lord, we pray for parents and sisters and all who are suffering with him. Dear God, you can heal beyond our wildest dreams. You can heal in times and places where we think nothing can go right or nothing can happen. So Lord, we pray for healing. And Father, for, for those of our children who are battling cancer, we lift up Grace from Sonora and we lift up Ella in Texas. We pray that you heal their little bodies. Lord, that, that you just be with all of those who are working so hard to treat them and to knock the cancer down. I pray for successful treatment for each of these little girls and that they can live lives moving forward that are cancer-free because you have granted this to them, Lord. And, and Father, a special blessing of comfort on their families. For the families who, who watch their children, children suffer and who stand in places where they are absolutely powerless. So we lift them up to you as well. Father, we thank you for this time to be together before your throne and to be together and lift up each other's hearts and ask on behalf of each other. You've given us a great gift in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Oh, I'm a little loud. I'll tone it down just a smidge. So um, ever since uh, we came to this church nearly 20 years ago, one of the things that I thought was most powerful when we prayed is when we prayed together as a congregation and prayed together as a congregation surrounding those people who needed the prayers. And so that's what I'd like to do this morning for us. So if I could ask the Fisher family to come on down here and everybody else is going to get up. And they're going to come on down and we're going to surround the fishers. Yep, you can do it. Come on. I know you can. I've seen you do it before. So as you're doing that, I have to say that I get to be lucky that I get to see the fishers next weekend too. So we're going to be down at uh, the Leadership Training for Christ convention next weekend down in um, uh, Santa Clara. So uh, I'll get blessing of one more week with them uh, before they move. So anyway, come on down. Don't be shy. You can all do it. There's plenty more room in the front. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Everybody grab a shoulder or a hand. There's room right up here, too. Yep. To surround the backside as well. Yep. Come on up. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, at the times of these, these are the times where we so appreciate the promise that you give us. It's the promise that your word is going to be spread throughout this world. Lord, you tell us that that's what we're to do. And today, what we're praying for with the Fisher family is we are saying thank you, Lord, for the the time that they've been able to spend here with us, to see their children grow from babies up to adulthood, to see Steve and Tanya grow, and to be able to help other children, help other adults, and to be able to help them uh, grow closer to you, to be able to teach, to be able to coordinate, to be able to do so many things that they've done over this time that they've been here. 
And Lord, as they go and they move, we know that we're not losing them as a family. We have worked and we have uh, uh, grown together to equip them to be able to go out and spread your word wherever they go. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the Bible classes we've had here. Thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together in fellowship. Thank you for the time and love. We pray for Steve. We pray for Steve and his new job that is going to help grow their ability to be able to spread your word. We thank you for Tanya and her heart of giving, for her to be able to work with so many different people, to be able to share her love for you and to share her love for others. We thank you for Alec and Alec's creativity and his, um, his love for you, Lord. And we thank you for Belle. Belle, who has been an inspiration to many of us as somebody who has grown and has learned and has um, grown up for us right in front of our eyes to a beautiful young lady. Lord, we pray that you protect them from the evil one. We pray that as they move, that they can continue to look to you to be able to be protected, to be able to be in your light to wherever they go, to their new home, to their new church congregation. And of course, Lord, we know that this isn't goodbye. This is until we see you next time. And Lord, thank you for the promises you've given us. Thank you for this church family. And thank you for us. You're giving us the ability to support and love one another. Lord, it's this prayer that we offer to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And we'll have our closing song. Who has held the oceans in his hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings of nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Who has given counsel to the Lord? any of his word who can teach the one who knows all things who can fathom all his wondrous deeds behold our God seated on his throne come let us adore him behold
Thank you. Go in peace.